Revelation chapter 2 tonight, book of Revelation chapter number 2. Glad for the blood of Christ, thankful for the choir song about being changed. That's the power of the blood. And then the men singing, Rise Up, O Men of God. And very much appreciated that. And Brother Autry uh, leaned over and said, We need to get the men's ensemble, the ladies' ensemble together and make a great mixed ensemble. And I think that would sound great. And I very much appreciated men singing, singing it like men too. And that was, that was great and the message we needed. Revelation chapter number two, let's stand together and we'll read the first five verses. Revelation chapter two, the Bible reads, unto the angel of the church of Ephesus, write, these things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Look at verse 4. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. I want to preach tonight on first love Christianity. Leaving your first love. Thank you. Please be seated. The book of Revelation can be viewed in three particular ways. One is prophetically. That's the large portion of the book of Revelation beginning in chapter number 4. It speaks of the rapture all the way through chapter 22. It's all future. Chapters 2 and 3 where we are tonight is speaking practically and, he, and the Lord Jesus chose seven churches, I believe there may have been more, but seven churches there in Asia Minor to give his messages to. And those are messages that we can find to help us in today's living and experiencing personal revival, normal Christianity. But another way in which we need to take the book of Revelation is personally, personally. The Lord was confronting his churches, but he's speaking to the individuals within those churches. He, he says in chapter 2 and verse 7, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And we need to recognize the Lord Jesus Christ is always speaking to us. Anytime we pick up his book and we look at his message, we're hearing from the author. Churches are made up of individuals and it's the individuals who determine the spiritual life of this local assembly. That's why we want to experience God in our heart and in our home. And if we have an experiencing of the reality of God in our heart and in our home, it will overflow into our church family. So while reading these messages, we must apply them personally as we examine our own hearts. Notice in verse number one, it says, And to the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlestick. We see here in verse 1, the Lord Jesus Christ described in two ways. It tells us that Jesus cares and Jesus is here. It tells us that the one who's holding the seven stars, that's the Lord Jesus. 
Those seven stars would be the seven messengers, the seven pastors of the local church. Now he's not saying a pastor is a star, but what he's saying is the word star is the word used also for messenger. And the Lord Jesus is holding those seven pastors. He holds a pastor in his right hand. I take great consolation in that reality. I'm afraid of some people's hands that want to get around my neck, but I'm always thankful for the hand of Jesus that will hold. It's not my message, it's his message. It's not my authority, it's his authority. It's definitely not my agenda, it's his agenda. It's his church and he holds the pastor within his hand. But then he says, who walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. The seven golden candlesticks refer to the light of the seven churches. And Jesus is not looking afar off. He's right in the midst. He's moving around. He's walking. We know that Jesus cares and we know that Jesus is there. And I think it would help us to remember that our God, He is here. Our God cares and He is here. Now here in this one, this particular church in verse number one, it's the church of Ephesus. The word Ephesus means desirable. One thing we can know about this church just from its name is it's a good role model. It's a desirable church. There are others that could look at Church of Ephesus and say, we like to be like the Church of Ephesus. It's a desirable church. However, one thing, one thing only ruined their testimony. And let's start then where Jesus starts. Tonight, in looking at this matter of leaving our first love, I want you to see the commendation of the church. Notice verse 2, the Lord Jesus commends it. This was what makes up the desirable qualities of the church of Ephesus. He says, I know thy works. We find that he's commending the deeds of the church. And Jesus tells us that this matter of work is why he came in John 9 and verse 4. I know the word work becomes a dirty four-letter word in churches, but God came up with the work. He's the one who worked in the creation of this world. Jesus came to work the works of his Father when he came here. Not only did, did he commend them for their deeds, I know thy works, but he said also thy patience. This word patience is the idea of dedication. They were a dedicated church. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, be steadfast. Unmovable, always abounding. But what's the exception to that? Well, he gave no exception. And this church was desirable in that it was a dedicated church. It had patience. This word patience is the idea of staying power. Whenever they were losing strength and energy, they were staying. They were not budging. 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 2, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. You know, sometimes people would wonder uh, whether or not preacher's going to be here in service and, and I'm always going to be here unless I'm sick happens very few times or unless I'm away preaching somewhere else. We're going to be gone here with the Autrys and the Smiths and the Thomases for about 10 days to Israel, but I'll be preaching five times and I'll get to preach in the place that where Elijah preached on Mount Carmel. I want to see if the fire will fall again and we can get that. But I'm not too hopeful that the fire will fall there, but I am hopeful that the fire will fall here. But sometimes people wonder, as pastor here, but let me ask you, should I ever wonder if you're going to be here? They were dedicated. They were faithful. 
They were steadfast. Another thing that he commended them for was their doctrine. Notice what he says in verse 2, Thou canst not bear them which are evil. In Matthew 7 and verse 15, we're told in the last day there will be many false prophets. We are told in 1 John chapter 4, we're to try the spirits. And there are many that come along with truth and they mix it and they change it and they twist it. And there has never been a cult that has ever started and existed. But what it came from a Bible truth that was mishandled. And so these people, this church of Ephesus, they were commended for their doctrine. But notice not only their commendation, but notice their condemnation. Verse number four, Jesus said, nevertheless, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. Nevertheless, you have good works. You're patient. You're staying with it. You've got good doctrine. Nevertheless, I've got somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Now make sure that we don't insert into Bible what's not there. I've heard some say some have lost their first love. He didn't say anything about anybody losing their first love. They left it. They abandoned their first love. You don't lose it, you leave it. And he's condemning them no matter how good. And you could check the box, their resume looked great. But he says, I have something, one thing against you. And if that is something that bothers the Lord Jesus, it ought to wake us up and bother us as well. See, the issue here is not whether God loves us. That was settled for God. So love the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The question has been long settled in the word of God. God loves you. But the issue is, do you and I love God? He tells us, you know, the 1 Corinthians 13 love passage. What he's teaching us all through there, and our young people have memorized it. We went through it in our family devotions a year ago as a church. One of the things that the Apostle Paul's teaching us throughout the 1 Corinthians 13 love chapter is that if you have a life minus love, you have nothing. No, God says you have nothing. If you have life minus love for God, you have nothing. If you have life minus love for the people that God loves, you have nothing. See, the foundation of the Christian life is not love like some suggest, it's faith. Nobody can be saved without faith. Somebody says, I'm going to heaven because I got baptized. Baptism didn't die on the cross for you, Jesus did. Baptism doesn't wash your sins away, only Jesus can. And what is it that brings a person into the family of God? By faith. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, how does a person call? By faith. How does a person get forgiveness of sins? By faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 16, verse 30. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And the answer was nothing. There's nothing you can do. Acts 16, 31. There is a decision you can make. Believe 
on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. See, salvation is not what you do. Salvation is what Jesus has done for you. And it's a gift, Romans 6 and verse 23, for the wages of your sin is death. Because of your sin and mine, we've earned death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus went to the cross for us. He went to the cross for you. He took your sin. He paid it all. He paid every single aspect of your sin debt. And he's offering now to you the gift of a paid mortgage of your sin debt. He's offering to you to live rent-free, mortgage-free as a child of Almighty God. Free, freedom, sins forgiven, the eternal life credited to your account, the righteousness of Jesus Christ and God literally moving inside of you. But you have to take it by faith. How does a person get saved? By faith. And faith in what? It's not faith in what, it's faith in who? His name is Jesus. Someone says, I believe about Jesus. Well, so do the devils. James chapter 2. The devils believe in God. They tremble. The devils are not going to heaven. It's not believing about him. It's putting your faith and trust and dependence upon him. You can believe that the plane will take you from Atlanta to uh, Miami, Florida, all you want to, but you are not depending upon the plane to take you from Atlanta to Miami until you get on the plane. You can believe that Jesus Christ died for you, was buried, rose again, that he can take you to heaven all you want to, but you'll die and go to hell until you put your faith, trust, dependence upon Jesus. You get into the family of God by faith, and the foundation of the Christian life, Hebrews eleven six, 6, without faith, it is impossible to please him. It's by faith. But the motivation of the Christian life is love. God loves me and my love for him. Now, how do you know if you've left your first love? There's some evidence that I believe that we can come to, and I remember years ago, in fact, in Bible college, being challenged with these very evidences as to whether or not I've left my first love. See, remember, I've told you before, when I went to Bible college, and one of my professors, Dr. Childs, is sitting here, just turned 94 yesterday, and Dr. Childs and others would say the easiest place to backslide is in Bible college. I used to wonder initially, how is that even possible? We're getting preached at even in the classroom. That was only Dr. Childs. He preached in the classroom. And we get preached to in chapel. We got preached to in the classroom. We got preached to in the dormitory. We got preached to in, in, uh, at breakfast. We got preached to at work. We got preached to at the breaks. You said, how did that happen? Well, you're in school with a bunch of preachers. They're looking for a place to preach. And if they couldn't find somebody on the street corner, well, they'd wake us up and preach to us. And, and we'd preach to each other at, at work. And, and um, as we took breaks, it, it, was, it was a preaching place. So how could you lose your first love? Let me tell you how we could then and how you can now. Number one, when you develop a coolness toward the Savior. A coolness towards the Savior. Deuteronomy 6 verse 4 and 5 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. Several centuries later, the Lord Jesus said in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. See, first love Christianity is going to be very concentrated. 
it's going to be very pure. It's going to be very powerful. It's very consecrated. It's a consecrated love. Have you ever gone up to someone that you knew were grandparents? Have you ever asked them about their grandkids? And you found that they weren't interested in talking to you about their grandkids? No, you haven't. But I'll tell you, I am often amazed at how people are more interested in talking about their grandkids than they are the Lord Jesus Christ. It ought to be a consecrated love. It ought to be a communicated love. How often do you tell Jesus you love him? How often have you just gotten alone with the Lord and say, I know you love me, I want to love you more, can you help me, Lord? See, when there's a coolness toward the Savior, it's an indication I'm leaving my first love. Number two, when there's a callousness toward sin. See, if you're you're really close to God, you're going to hate sin. Psalm 97 and verse 10, Ye that love the Lord hate evil. But when a callousness towards sin, I've often said you get a, a callous, a blister that turns into a callus on your hand. It's not a big deal depending upon what kind of job you have. You work with your hands, you use tools, you're going to develop a blister, you're going to get calluses. But when you get a blister and a callus upon your heart, that becomes a big deal. And there's a callousness towards sin. There were words you would never have said in the presence of Jesus but you forgot that he's here. And you've said words that didn't please the Savior because you've become callous towards sin. You've entertained thoughts that no one else could see, but you forgot, thou God, Genesis 16, 13, seest me. You have a callousness towards sin. See, once you tolerate sin, you'll participate in sin. Let me give you another thought, an evidence of leaving first love. You become content with self. The closer you get to Jesus, however, the less you'll think of yourself. You become content with self. When I was in revival meetings, I often found Brother Smith, and and it's the same, I think, here as well as any church. You know the ones that respond the most often in the altar, at the invitation, the ones who respond the most often, the quickest, most often, most regularly, are not the backslidden ones, but the ones who are considered to be the spiritually sensitive ones. You see, those who are backslidden, they're content with self. I don't need to go up there. I don't, I don't need to do that. I don't see anything wrong in my life. You got a problem with me, preacher? You see anything wrong with me? But a spiritually sensitive person, what do they do? Search me, oh God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way. The backslidden person says, I dare you to show me. You, you point it out in my, I'll show you what's in your life. Whenever there's a contentedness towards self, it's an indication you didn't lose it. You've left your first love. When was the last time you went to the altar and just said, it's me, 
It's me. It's me, O Lord. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 9, the apostle Paul says, I'm the least of the apostles. Ephesians 3 and verse 8, he says, I'm less than the least of all saints. And a little bit later on, he said in 1 Timothy 1 and verse 15, I'm the chiefest of sinners. What's our problem? See, the closer you get to the light, the less you will think of yourselves. Isaiah chapter 5, Isaiah had a bunch of messages. Woe unto you, woe unto you, woe unto you. I can't remember how many of there were in chapter. And a woe means a message. He's preaching these messages. Isaiah 6, he sees Jesus high and lifted up and he says, woe is me. When was the last time you called a timeout and say, God, it's me. I want to experience God in my heart. I want to experience God in my home. When was the last time we came into the church service, not as a spectator, but as Samuel, the servant, and said, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. See, the goal of the Christian life is never to have a healthy self-image, but a healthy Savior image. See, when Bible preaching offends you, you've left your first love. Let me give you another evidence, a fourth evidence of leaving our first love, when we've lost our concern for souls. Romans 10 and verse 1, I will tell you this, I do not understand the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul is more spiritual than I could ever be. I do not understand this. But Paul says, it's my heart's desire for my brethren, referring to Israel, to be saved. And Paul goes on to describe I would take their place in hell if I could. I don't know that I would take anybody's place in hell because of what I know about it. But you know why Paul felt that way? Because he hadn't left his first love. He was so close to the heart of the Lord Jesus, he never got over what Jesus did for him. And he saw the Savior's heart break for those who were lost and ignorant of the gospel and were were going their way blinded as sheep having no shepherd. And Paul said, if I could but take their place in hell that others might be saved. Souls for Jesus is my battle cry. Souls for Jesus, we will fight until we die. May that be our heart cry. When Andrew got saved, you know what he did? He went home and told his brother, Peter. When the woman at the well in John 4 got saved, she left her water pots. She went and told the men of the city and brought a city to Jesus Christ. He said, what does that look like? It looks like the Jensen's going to Walmart telling people about Jesus. And Don't ever be shocked when you find the Jensen's in the news. They got kicked out of Walmart. It just, I'm telling you, when you, when you don't get over what God did for you, it's hard for you to pass over what God wants to do for somebody else. I'm going to give you one last evidence. When we've left our first love, there's a criticalness toward the saints. A criticalness toward the saints. Psalm 119, you've heard it, you quote it, but we can quote it and still commit it. Psalm 119, 165, great peace have they which love thy law, nothing shall offend, nothing shall offend them. When we become critical of the people of God at sermons too long, auditorium's too cold, 
the carpet's too ugly, the building's too far away. I literally, I have, I have, I have talked to pastors who have had splits in their church. I used to think it was a joke that they would split over the color of a carpet. That's not a joke that's happened. They split over the tile that's going to be put down in the gymnasium. What's happening is they've lost sight of what's important and they've gotten their eyes off Jesus and they have left their first love. Stuart Briscoe, in his commentary, I want to read this to you because I, I just, only because, so you think, I didn't come up with this. I didn't tailor this. He's called it the Ephesus problem. He says the Ephesus problem, it happens quietly and gradually and invisibly. He says, let me sketch in a contemporary scenario that may explain this devastating shift of focus in leaving your first love. What happens is this. A man or woman first unites with the church, joins a church because of having discovered a relationship with Jesus Christ and discovering God's love for them and our love for God. But after a few years of being a Christian, that person becomes a leader in the church with very heavy responsibilities for the fellowship. But something happens along the way. That person who, because of giftedness or hard work, may now stand at the vortex of church politics and decision-making experiences, and they experience a subtle shift. That person is now adrift as a disciple and finds himself or herself motivated and nourished by the organization or by the controversy or by ambition to hold power or their leadership position. Their first love has been replaced while perhaps no one was aware of the replacement. The first love has been abandoned and in its place is the starchy, high cholesterol diet of activity and church work that will never nourish the human soul. The irony of this latter condition of the Ephesus syndrome is that the Christian becomes totally preoccupied, fascinated by themes and goals which would have never won him or her in the first place to have joined the church. In other words, arguments over fine doctrinal points, distinctives of polity, uh, giftedness, etc. How can all of this happen, this shift? It happens to marriages, it happens to human friendships, and it happens in the life of discipleship. It is leaving your first love. I want you to see three tonight. We, look at, we looked at the commendation, the condemnation, but I want you to see number three, the correction. Jesus gives a correction. I'm thankful for that. He doesn't ever tell us the problem without giving us the answer. Notice what he says about the correction. He says, verse five, remember. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place except thou repent. He says number one, repent. Or excuse me, remember, remember. Then number two, repent. Then number three, return. Number one, he says remember. Number two, repent. Number three, return. What does he mean when he says remember? I believe he's simply saying walk it across the stage of your mind. Go back to when 
Jesus found you. See, we think sometimes when we've left our first love, and somehow in our mind, we play it out this way, I found Jesus. And he's so glad that I found him. No, no, he found us. And we need to go back, as Brother Jerry Smith would sing, roll back the curtain of memories now and then and show me the things that you brought me from. And he's saying, walk it across the stage of our mind. Do not forget one single kind, gracious gift of Almighty God. See, when we leave our first love, what's happening is there's no... there's no love. There's no love factor. God is love. And I'm constrained by his love. But when we've left that, then we're left to our own understanding. And what happens is we take for granted. We forget. And he says, don't forget. Remember. Remember when God met with you. Remember when God was gracious to you. Remember what God did for you. Remember the salvation. Remember the deliverance. Remember the reviving. Let me give you a recommendation. Can I do so? Maybe sometime unplug your TV. Take your Bible and get alone with God. Go across the the crucifixion passages. Come across the passages where you find Jesus Christ was beaten. And every time you read a place where Jesus was beaten, struck, crucified, would you insert, he did it for me. He did it for me. He says, remember. And then he says something we talked about briefly this morning. He says, repent. What is repent? It's the word that means change your mind. Remember Philippians 2, let this mind be in you. There needs to be a shifting of the mind. It means a mindset shift. We need to repent. We need to repent. How often? Anytime and every time we have the wrong mindset. Change your mind about our doctrine. No, if the doctrine is right, you don't change your doctrine. Change our mind about being steadfast. No, stay plugged in. He's commending them for these good things, but this one thing he says is a problem, and it's a big thing. It's a glaring thing. Repent, repent and change your mind that it's just as big of a deal to you as it is to God. And then he says, return. Do those first works. I believe this suggests restoring that original fellowship that was broken by our sin, by our neglect. For the believer, I I believe this means go back to meaningful prayer. Going back to Bible reading. Going back to meditation. Going back to implicit obedience. Going back to genuine worship. Going back to sacrificial giving. I often, in fact, every time. Every time I see somebody who has left their first love, I want to ask. Let me see your Christ walk journal. I'll tell you the pages are blank. He's saying go back to basic Christianity. And notice what Jesus says, else. This is not some pie in the sky, popcorn kind of message. He says, else 
I will come unto thee quickly and remove thy candlestick out of his place, except you change your mind, except thou repent. See, in spite of the privileges it had enjoyed, the church of Ephesus was in danger of losing its light. You know this, at least you should know it. It wouldn't take you long to figure it out. The church of Ephesus no longer exists. It did lose its candlestick. It's not just because time changes. It's because Jesus was abandoned. There was a desertion of first love. They left it. They didn't remember. They didn't repent. They didn't return. Canaan Baptist is one generation away from extinction. You and I are one decision away from destruction. If a church member's activity is about us rather than about Jesus, Jesus will remove the candlestick in this sense. He'll remove his presence and power from our life. We can go through the motions all we want to. We can be sound doctrinally. We can be polished. We can do the work of the ministry, but without his presence and power, that's what will happen if we don't get back to first love Christianity. So what do we do? Remember, repent, and return. Let's stand together, please.